Hello and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore and our favorite video games. I'm your host, Joe Perez, one of several lore-focused folks from Blizzard Watch, and I've got my stupendous co-host with me today, Matt Rossi. How are you doing today, Matt? Syrup. Syrup is a very good word. Uh, today, in honor of the fact that the Diablo 2 resurrected open beta was this weekend, uh, as you're listening to this, it has already since passed, uh, and with it looming ever closer in the future uh, to release, which is very, very soon, we figured it would be pertinent to maybe talk about the actual lore and story of Diablo 2, possibly in a bit of a recap form. And this is where uh, I lean on my co-host, Matt, who I think his middle name is Diablo. Probably. I'm not entirely sure. Uh, so where do you no, think we should it's begin? it's not, but that's actually, you know, not too far from the truth. Um, I'm going to give people a recap of the end of Diablo in order for you to understand just how special the, uh, the story of Diablo 2 really it, is. It does pick up like right after the first one, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. Like, you know, it's literally, you know, remember last week when that was going on? Oh, yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> um, okay. Some of this is also lore that they kind of came up with later. Like, they to explain what you just saw, like, the, when you played the game that, that wasn't necessarily explained. When you played Diablo, you basically, you show up in Tristram and everyone's like, oh, it's you. You're back. Crazy stuff's been going on, man. Uh, and there's a guy named uh, Deckard Kane who's like, kind of a village elder who's like, yeah, I did some research and um, apparently the devil's here. Uh, D- Diablo, Lord of Terror himself. Uh, he's in this town. Doing bad stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so you playing the character, you're, whatever character you're playing uh, goes down into Tristram Cathedral uh, kills Archbishop Lazarus, who turns out to have been behind everything, which is like, yeah, okay. Uh, basically, the years, there's a thing called a soul stone that Diablo was trapped in. Diablo was kept in this cathedral by an ancient order of wizards called the Haradrim. Uh, several hundred years before any of this stuff happened, that's when they built this place. And Lazarus came with the royal family that had come to become, you know, the the rulers of Conduras, the, the the kingdom in question, the one that you're in in Diablo. It Conduras was somewhat of a backward kingdom. It was next to Westmarch, which had been founded earlier, and the king, whose name was Leoric, had started going a little crazy because Archbishop Lazarus literally tried to get Diablo into his body. He was trying to make the king you know, a vessel for Diablo. The king was, while he wasn't, you know, perfect, he was a good enough man and he was a strong-willed enough man that he wouldn't, like, he wouldn't let Diablo enter his body, which, you know, I I don't recommend letting Diablo enter your body, just straight up. I mean, none uh, of the primeval should really be invited into your body. It's generally a bad idea. Yeah, and we'll we'll talk more about that later. Um, but so Diablo's, like, got frustrated. He's sort of broke Leoric's brain trying to jam himself in there and finally was like, all right, uh, Lazarus, find me somebody more pliable than this guy because this guy just isn't giving up. So they switch tax to the youngest son of the of the royal family, Prince Albrecht. The process of trying to possess the king had driven the king so insane that he began suspe- suspecting everybody around him except the one guy who actually was working with the demon 
of working with demons. So to, yeah. not to, to jump ahead real quick, because this ties in directly to some of the first things you deal with in, in Diablo 3, this is where the idea of the Mad King Leoric comes from. Mm-hmm. Yep, because he literally was. He, he, he went insane because Diablo was trying to possess him, and it broke his brain, and so he began suspecting everybody was working with demons, and only Lazarus could be trusted, because Lazarus was the one who cared about him and was helping him in his head. Uh, in reality, Lazarus was the one who was like, go get him, Diablo. Um, Lazarus worked for Mephisto, who is another of the three primevals, also coming up in our discussion of Diablo 2. But you go in, playing whichever character you're playing, you kill Lazarus, you deal with, with Leoric, who at this point has become a, an undead monstrosity called the Skeleton King, and you find Diablo. Now, You've been spending this entire game looking for Diablo, trying to stop his evil. So you, you get into a fight almost immediately. Uh, if you win, you know, you think, yay, end of the game. Except Diablo turns back into Prince Albrecht at this point. Mm -hmm. And you realize you've just killed the prince. And now you've got the soul stone with Diablo in it. And you're thinking, you know, what do I do with this thing? That's this unholy evil that, that possessed the prince. What do I put this thing? And in a decision that shows just how in truly great at decision-making you are, you jam it in your own head. And that's the end of the game. That's where yeah. Diablo stops. you like looking at this thing and then you just yank it on in there. And like, it should be specified that like the reason or justification that was, was delivered for this in this terrible, terrible decision-making process that heroes always seem to have uh, is that you are attempting to contain Diablo using the essence of your own body uh, and the soul stone combined as a prison. Mm -hmm. How this makes this, sense. Nobody knows. This will come up again later as well. However, because this is some, this is a decision that other people make at, at, in turn, but yeah, you, you do that. It was later established that the, the canon ending of Diablo is that the warrior. for back of a better word, the, the warrior is, mm -hmm is the is the person who defeated Diablo and he did it with the aid of the rogue and uh, sorcerer players and those characters helped him do it he was Aiden uh, son he was the elder son of the of King Leoric and Queen Yasilla and the elder brother of Prince Albrecht and it was supposed it was implied that he kind of snapped seeing everything that happened to his family and then realizing he'd killed his own brother so he wasn't entirely of, of sound mind and possibly also being influenced by Diablo because Re Diablo two starts with this guy, Marius talking in an insane asylum and somebody he thinks is the archangel Tyrael shows up and he's like, Oh, Tyrael, it was horrible. And Tyrael's like, yeah, yeah. Tell me about and, it. And before I, hold on a second, real quick, ahead. Marius, Marius, just to give you the, the sort of like uh, framework, Marius is the narrator for the entirety of Diablo two. So mm -hmm. when you are hearing things relayed, when you are hearing the story told, when you make your way through Diablo 2, you're hearing it from the perspective of Marius. This is important as we move on and just something I want to make sure is kept in mind. Yeah. So the game opens with the cinematic. If, by the way, if you're playing the new game, you get to see a much, much better cinematic. Not well, much nicer looking. Um, they would they did the best they could with the limitations of computers in like 1999 when they did the original cinematic. But we, we obviously have better computers now that's just what happens um so 
Marius is in an insane asylum and the events of the game that you just, you're about to play through Diablo two have already happened to him. Mm -hmm. Like he has already done all of this. He's already seen everything that's going on. So figure walks in. Marius thinks it's the Archangel Teriel. Uh, he starts telling, you know, he's like, you know, tell me what, you know, tell me everything. And he starts telling who he thinks is Teriel everything. And so his story starts with the rogue, uh, the rogue Citadel, which was a place basically up in the mountains on the way from Tristram to, I think I want to say Luke Golane. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think yeah. so. Yeah. And he was there. It's pretty obviously an opium den. I mean, they don't actually say this is an they, opium. Yeah, they den, can, they can't because this is this was made during the war on drugs. Saying anything yeah, as a drug den was was bad at the time, folks. Yeah, but it pretty obviously is an opium den. There's people smoking from weird pipes and you know getting all tranced out. It's clearly an opium den. Mm -hmm. And this figure comes in and he's twitching and you know not he is clearly not well. The sword he's holding, he can barely even carry it. He's like dragging it in front of him. And he like when he tries to put it down, his hand starts like shaking and shaking, and he has to clamp onto it with his other hand. And as this is going on, the people around the drug den are basically still doing the things they do because you know you don't go to an opium den because you give a rat's butt about what that guy's doing. Well, not even that. Like somebody walking in that's completely jaded and strung out is not exactly unheard of. So at this point, like somebody who's walking in and very and you know probably jonesing for a fix can't hold themselves together. They're used to this at this point. That's kind of just the norm. So they don't think anything of it at first. Yeah, plus, I mean, the, the way that the uh, cinematic lingers on one guy in particular, you kind of get the sense he's actually laughing at the Dark Wanderer. Mm -hmm. um, but that turns out to not be a good idea, because as the person's having their fit, the fireplace explodes and demons come pouring out of it, and there's monsters and skeletons attacking everyone. And yeah, Marius isn't sure. Is this actually happening? Because, you know, again, we're in an opium den. I'm not 100% positive that I'm seeing what I'm seeing. But if I am, this is bad. Um, and that happens. And then Marius is the only one who survives. Probably for, like, you know, I have no idea why Marius survives. Like, there's nothing in this that says he was particularly chosen. So much as it was just, he just didn't die. Well, I think part of it is, too, in the cinematic, it's shown that the the denizens of the den, uh, basically the folks that are there getting their getting their, their swerve on or whatever, uh they're shown trying to fight back against the demons that are being unleashed, right? Because that's what happens. The Dark Wanderer loses that control and these demons are just ravaging and they're summoning from their fire imps and there's there's undead skeletons somehow that magically get summoned from a fire pit. Don't know how. Hey, whatever, whatever generates your cola, I guess. Um, but Marius is the most passive out of all of them because that's what you're shown is you're shown shadows of, of combat and these these... Uh, men trying to fight back and immediately getting cut down. And then the Dark Wanderer winds up getting back control of the entity inside of him, causing all of the demons to disperse, leaving Marius, who has been passive and laying in the corner the entire time, alive and standing there. And in this middle of this burning den, uh, just kind of like looking around like, okay, this is this is a thing. This is a thing. And then the Dark Wanderer just turns around and walks out. And then Marius follows and locks up behind him, felt, mm -hmm. feeling compelled to do so, but having no idea who he is or why he's being compelled to do this. He just goes along with the idea. Why not? Okay, here you go. 
And we should make it clear. The Dark Wanderer is the protagonist from the previous game who jammed a big soulstone in his forehead. Yeah, he's currently uh, fighting that, Diablo trying to take over his body. Yeah, and he has he also isn't sure what he's doing. Like at, at sometimes he says things and they're fairly clearly from Diablo's perspective. And sometimes he doesn't seem to quite be on board with it. But basically, therefore, that's the opening of the game. That moment in the Rogue Citadel. Then the game cuts to your character, whoever you're playing. And the funny thing here is you're behind the Dark Wanderer the whole time. Yeah, you're, you're trying to track them down. Well, the very first part of the game, it isn't 100% clear what you're doing wherever you are, but you're at the Rogue Citadel. Well, it's, it's, not even, it's not a citadel. It's a camp. Yeah, well, that's my point. You're at the camp. That's all that's left of the rogue citadel. The rogues have like decamped to this this like camp because their citadel is full of monsters and demons. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're like, you know, you can't get through. It's not even a question of us letting you through. You just can't get through. The entire area is infested with monsters. And then when you get to the citadel, the I can't. Oh, is it Blood Eagle? What is her name? Blood Raven. And she's Blood in Raven. The, Blood you. Raven is not in the citadel. She's in the graveyard. Yeah, but Blood Raven is the reason that the place is like it is. Uh, yeah. they, they're like, you know, Blood Raven has like raised all these horrors. Um, you, you can't get in. And so you spend like the first, I want to say, act of the game. Basically yeah, just cleaning up. Yeah. You basically spend that time cleaning up the mess that uh, the Dark Wanderer left in his wake. Not even on purpose. That's that's the the best part of all this is he didn't even do this on purpose. He just lost control for a second, uh, and you spend an entire act of the game and, trying to clean up after him. And let and let's talk a little bit about what you face in that first act. Like in even in just the first area alone. Now, yes, there are undead monstrosities. There are zombies all over the place, and that's one of the first things that you're going to run into. Then there are these quill beasts, which again are very very common have existed in in all the diablo things and if you played warcraft well you've probably seen them as well they're sort of the original proto quillbore uh if you will and that's not just it you find spirits and corrupted trees uh in particular sasquatch that are all over the place there are the fallen and carvers little imp like creatures but not actually imps that have this sort of like shamanistic society that are all over the place and are riled up uh because their god rakanishu uh is apparently stirred and you know doing things and then it starts getting darker and darker the further you go now matt talked about blood raven the interesting thing is once you get past the first area, once you clear out the den of evil, once you go through the first like core section just around the camp, you get access to more of the areas. And then the reason that the rogues are, are telling you you can't go here isn't necessarily just because of the evil, but what flavor of evil that waits you as soon as you move into the stony fields, which is the, the second area. The stony fields are full of rogues that have fallen under the influence of the Dark Wanderer, or in particular, Diablo. They are corrupted, and they are well-trained and violent. And that is the dangerous thing. And these are not undead. These are just humans that have fallen under the sway of, of the power of Diablo as he moved through the area, not even actively Diablo, like, like traps inside of the human body as he would. That is a huge, huge, huge inconvenience. 
and very scary for them. And the idea, I think, is not necessarily that you'll die because death is whatever. And if you come back as a corpse, you're still a corpse and you're easier to deal with. But if you fall under the influence of whatever has infected the rest of them, that becomes even more problematic because you are at this point a skilled character, whether you are playing as a druid or the assassin or an Amazon or the sorceress or the barbarian, you are, or the necromancer, you contain a whole lot of power and something like that falling under sway. Well, that's another blood Raven situation. And that yeah, in and of itself out, is huge and terrible. Go ahead. Blood Raven is the rogue from the first game. She is. Yes. If you're, when you, when you confront blood Raven, uh, both Blood Raven and I forget the other one um, are cor- the both the sorcerer and rogue from the previous games are corrupted by Diablo and serve him. And when you get you confront Blood Raven, Blood Raven is effectively acting as lieutenant for the area, keeping you know the the place pacified under Diablo's control, keeping things going the way that Diablo wants. Diablo doesn't want anybody coming through on his trail because he knows from his experiences with Aiden. Uh, he knows that mortals can be surprising and he doesn't want anybody coming like, like what happened to him in Tristram. He had a host body in Tristram and then these people showed up and wrecked everything. He doesn't want that this time. This time he's going to ride this body to his destination. So Blood Raven's there and, but not just Blood Raven. Cause once you get past Blood Raven, you find out that it's even worse because Andariel, one of the seven, She's a lesser evil. Of hell. Yeah. She's a lesser evil, but that still makes her one of the lords of hell. Yeah. Andariel, like the maiden of anguish, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. She is waiting for you. Um, she is basically originally Andariel and her brother Duriel um, took sides against Diablo, Mephisto, and Baal, the, the three prime evils and the three greater evils. My, my apologies. Um, and helped him, you know, exile them to the mortal realm. This is something that actually happened well before any of the games, but now they've decided, no, this, we, we won too easily. This was all a setup and they've pledged themselves to Diablo because they, they're like, he's Diablo's up to something. There's a plan going on and we're going to be, we're going to join him now so that when he, you know, comes back to hell with an army of whatever he's doing, we'll be on the winning side. So Andariel's there waiting for you. And it's it's in the fight with Andariel that your character shows that they're more than just human. Yeah. Well, not more than just human, but more than just, you know, somebody who's going to get destroyed by Diablo, that they're they're actually capable of standing up to the forces of hell, which is important for later in the in the story. Yeah, and I think it's also important to know that like Andariel, when you face them, you are in essentially the monastery. You are in the cloister. You are that's where you fight her, which is a seat of uh, essentially a seat of power, a seat of of authority in this region, and that's where you fight before moving on to uh, Act Two, uh, in which mm-hmm. uh, you find another of the lesser of the evils. But I think we these are I forgot the opening of Act Two, so you wind up going to uh, what is the actual name of the desert? Oh, um, yeah, that's a good question. Uh, like I said, I think it's Luke Golain is where you I, go, I but I don't, I don't remember. Is. I don't remember that the desert is named anything in specific. Hold on. I'm going to look that up while you talk. So the different acts of Diablo, like Diablo one is, is all about the, you know, finding out what's going on, 
making sure that you are going through Kandoris and cleaning everything up. Um, and then when you get to Act 2, uh, you do go to the town Aranoch. of Luke Galane. It's Aranoch Desert. You go to Luke Galane. And it's another area that is just full of, um, well, I'm trying to think how to phrase this. We've talked about this on some of the previous episodes. Like the the act one is all about figuring out the sightless eye, the rogues, and what's going on there. The second one is all about figuring out what arcanely is going on with things. You are you are looking for. It is referred to as the secret of the visuri, right? That is the name of this chapter. That is the name of this, and you are essentially going through to figure out what's happening here, following that wave of corruption but also learning the depths of the corruption of those that wield such deep magic power. Basically, um, one of the things about the entire story is that it's sort of like, it takes what we experienced in the original Diablo and it sort of like starts off like, like literally hard upon it. Like this, this is what's happening in the direct aftermath. This is not even days later and it starts to blow it up uh, in terms of like, its importance and also its scale. Mm -hmm. Like you start off with like this thing happened in this town, but then as you, as your character follows after the dark wanderer, you start to, to run into the actual, um, I don't know how to like the, the legacy of what got us to this point keeps showing up. Uh, there's, there's a, a real, emphasis on you know the people that came before and the the actions of the three primevals and the fact that it wasn't just diablo it was diablo and his two brothers uh mephisto and Baal. they were all three of them were banished and it's the, 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 primes, the legacy right the large yeah. the, the biggest of the baddest of the, them. The, the greater evils the three that were like that ruled hell as a as a as a trio and it is it's really trying to get the game to to like you you start confronting not just the legacy of of how they got to sanctuary in the first place, but you you're actually ultimately the story is about the very creation of sanctuary. Uh, so yeah, you you go when you're in Act Two, you're looking for the tomb of Tal Rasha, and Tal Rasha was a member of the Haradrim, the 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 order that that uh, Deckard Cain was in. And you're searching for the tomb of Talrasha because that's where you believe the Dark Wanderer is going. And you're right, but he gets there before you. And he can't... The funny thing is, is that we find out one of the reasons that Marius is involved in this whole thing in the first place, one of the reasons that Diablo is allowing him to continue following, is that D Diablo can't take the soul stone out of Talrasha's body. He, he can't remove it. Um, ultimately, Marius is the one who, who removes the soul stone from the, from Talrasha's body. And in that process, Tyriel shows up, you end up fighting Duriel, the brother of Andariel, one of the, the other lesser evils. Um, Duriel confronts you inside the tomb of Tarasha while the Dark Wanderer, you know, leaves uh, along with Baal. He is, he's, he's freed Baal from Tarasha's body. This is, I told you before we'd talk about 
people getting the idea of jamming soul stones into themselves. Yeah, it's not the first time. This is actually the first time uh, with Talrasho. Back when they were originally hunting for the three mm-hmm. greater evils, uh, they'd confined one underneath the city of Karast, the the you know the the Lord of of Hatred, Mephisto. When they were confronting Baal, the Lord of Destruction, he destroyed his soul stone that they were trying to put him in because he's the Lord of Destruction. He does that kind of thing. But they weren't willing to like let it go. They still managed to batter him into submission, and then they put him into the broken soul stone, and then put that into Talrasha. This was Talrasha's idea, by the way. They didn't just grab Talrasha and do this. Talrasha was like, "No, uh, we're not letting this go. We can use a, a mortal host to contain the essence of the demon. Just put him in me, and I'll, I'll, I'll fight him forever." I'll be in here in his body. He'll be here in my body. We'll be entombed in here and we'll be, we'll fight forever and he'll never be able to escape. It didn't actually work out that well for Talrasha because over the centuries, uh, he eventually lost the battle with Baal, but Baal was still contained within his body. Um, and that's important later too, because, well, we'll, we'll get into that. But when you get there, Baal's Baal has left with Diablo. Duriel fights you, and Tyriel charges Marius. Tyriel's the guy, the Archangel of Justice, who actually created the Haradrim originally. He charges Marius with taking the Soulstone to Hell to destroy it, because mm-hmm. uh, that will prevent Baal from continuing on, supposedly. Uh, so then you go into Act Three. Now, Act Two is, as Joe pointed out, is you know you're searching for the tomb of Talrasha. You're trying to figure out what's going on with the Haradrim and their ancient magical secrets. Act One was the whole confrontation with Andariel. You know how is it that the sisters have been corrupted? The sisters of Sightless Eye have been corrupted. And Act Three sort of like it. It says you remember the corruption you saw in Act One. Yeah, about that. So. Act three is called the Infernal Gate, and it's aptly named because of what winds up happening, I think, here. But you wind up one of the things I think it should be should also be kind of brought up is as you're moving between the acts, you as the player, even though you're following behind the uh, the Dark Wanderer, you're helping reestablish trade routes and communication between the sections and pockets of humanity, because that's one of the things that is repeated a theme throughout all of the acts that you move to in act one, the rogue encampment is completely cut off from the rest of the world. They're isolated in act two. It's the same thing in Luke Galane. And in act three, it's the same thing as you make your way into, um, I believe the town is Karast. Yeah. The temple of Karast is where you're ultimately heading. Yeah. Yeah. Karast so you- is a temple city. Essentially. It's like one of two, capitals of at that time the the Kedjistan empire it's Karas is the holy city of the high council of Zacharum. yeah and you're you the very first thing that you're tasked with doing here is um again magical magical properties are sort of like a keystone here um but the dock town has a magical barrier 
um, that kind of protects it from the jungle encroaching in. And this is kind of important because the jungle, even without any sort of dark influence, is an incredibly dangerous place filled with poisonous plants and creatures and uh, tiny little demonic guys that will, you know, stack up on top of each other and go after you and try to kill you. Um, and so you need, the first thing you need to do is try to help them figure out why is the barrier weakening and then go after it and try to fix it. Um, basically, and then you have to get what's called a sacred blade. Uh, I think it's the Scotsimi blade, I think, or something like that. Um, basically, it's used in a ritual casting in order to, to, to basically make the seal work. Um, you do this, but this is a side diversion. This is intentional. This is something to keep you busy and occupied because, again, as Matt pointed out, you're trying to go to the, the main temple of Karast. It is where you are supposed to be heading, but you're too busy dealing with other minor things that have immediate threat because otherwise you'd be abandoning humanity to the ravages of whatever horrors that are out there. Yeah, and basically, when the original Haradrim were hunting the three greater evils, they caught Mephisto first. Talarasha, who was the most powerful among them, was like, well, I'm kind of a member of this new religion called Zakarum. And those guys are really, they're completely incorruptible. Uh, they don't have any worldly things. They just, they hang out in this city, Travancall. We'll confine him under that. And we'll leave the soul stone there underneath the Temple of Light within Travancall. And we'll go forth to hunt down the other two. Uh, then we'll, obviously we'll be coming back. And then we'll figure out, you know, like a more secure containment for him. That didn't work out. Because Talrasha ended up, you know, literally with Ball living inside his corpse, um, and the by that point, after they after they confined Ball, Talrasha wasn't in charge anymore. So the bunch of the, the ones that were left when they caught up to Diablo were like, "Let's just stick him here." Those Zakarum dudes we left we left one of them with the Zakarum dudes. We'll set up a a monastery for our order here, and they, that's where they kept Diablo. That was in Tristram. So you can see how far they went. If you look at the map of Sanctuary, they started off doing this stuff in Travancall. Then they went across the sea to the Anorak Desert and Luke Golain, and that's where they can find Baal. And finally, they went up into the mountains and can find Diablo. So there's this, you can kind of see the arc of their travel. Which we are now when, moving backwards through. Yeah, you're literally retracing the steps in the opposite direction. When you get to Travancall, which is across a bridge, it's like a there's a causeway between Travancall and Karast proper. Travancall is kind of like a city within a city or a city like adjacent to a city. Um, when you get there, though, you you're you're basically there's a the whole emphasis of the story is about people's perceptions of things versus the reality of them, in that. You know, especially if you're playing a paladin, this really hits home. But the Church of Zakarum, which is like kind of the holy church of this world, it's the, it's the major monolithic religion of of the world, has been infiltrated by Mephisto over his centuries of imprisonment within Travancall. He's managed to use the Soul Stone to reach out and corrupt the minds of me various members of the Order of Zakarum. One of them was was Archbishop Lazarus. So Lazarus wasn't it initially when you do Diablo, the original Diablo, it's, it's implied that, you know, Diablo must have corrupted Lazarus first. 
but he wasn't. Lazarus wasn't corrupted by Diablo. Lazarus came to Tristram to find Diablo on the behest of the church of, of Zacharum, specifically the thing living underneath it. Quick, uh, um, quick, quick interruption. And I don't think we've mentioned this. Um, we've talked about it on previous episodes, but I also think talking about the soul stones just a little bit, um, oh yeah, good we point. probably should have done this a little bit earlier. Um, but the soul stones were originally created by the archangel Tyrael, uh, with the express goal of trying to contain the three primevals uh, when they were quote unquote exiled into sanctuary. Yeah, but, which was the we're gonna also point out the whole exile thing. That was a gambit. It was. Yeah, but go ahead. The important thing that I think needs to be stated here is that the sh- the soul stones themselves were things that were crafted from shards of the world stone itself. Now, that is important for a lot of reasons. One, because the goal of the demons in general, and particularly the prime evils, is to get to the world stone and use it, right? The world stone, otherwise known as the Eye of Anu, or the heart of creation, or the heart of the world, is what made sanctuary. It is what sanctuary, the world that we are playing in, the world that we inhabit, moves, it's completely around. It's what allows it to become permanent. That is incredibly powerful. It is a, an incredibly powerful item, um, an order of magnitude at a cosmic level. So you're trapping these beings that are also essentially made from the same primordial stuff uh, of the universe into these items with the hope of containing them. But the problem is the world stone is connected, well, to the world and Thinking short-term, sure, it it took him out of the fight for a certain amount of time, but Mephisto really is sort of like, we've seen people jam soul stones into them, but this is a perfect example of why it wasn't a great idea. Because they weren't completely cut off, even with an unbroken soul stone. They weren't completely cut off from the entirety of the world around them. They still had a connection to it that over time, and these are eternal beings could learn to exploit and to start to express their wishes and exert their sort of influence on everything around them, which again leads to that sort of corruption. It leads to, leads to the corruption of the Zacharum faith. It leads to uh, the corruption of the Temple of Light. Um, it is an important thing to note that, again, contained does not mean that they could not influence the world around them. And that is a big, big deal. And Mephisto, well, he's he's probably the best out of all of them is when it comes to that subtle manipulation. Yeah, as the Lord of Hatred, uh, Mephisto is uniquely qualified to corrupt the people around him. He doesn't, it should be pointed out that the the head of the church of Zacharum is the Quehagan, mm-hmm. uh, who's kind of like the great patriarch of the faith. And at this moment, when you are um, tracking after the uh, Dark Wanderer, yeah, um, you're you're basically one of the things is you actually end up ultimately meeting Sanakor, who is the Quehagen, and you're the, he's literally the host of Mephisto, because over time. The uh, ritual, the, the purpose of the Quahagan was twisted, and they kept using the Soul Stone directly. Yep. And they were basically the 
the the the various when Ball and Diablo get there, they free Mephisto from his soul stone and he possesses Sonica's body. And what's really messed up, and this is something that will again also come up, is Mephisto is left behind to guard the portal to hell that Ball and, and Diablo make use of. And not so only when you get there, when not you only, get there, you're effectively too late. Yeah, Go I was going to say, not only that, though, but also to, to, to waylay us, right? To waylay mm-hmm. anybody that would follow after, not just guard the portal, but like this is where the plague that is creeping through the jungle, that is creeping through the city and everything around it, this is where it's originating. These are These are why we have these side things to deal with. Is because Mephisto's back and you is sitting there manipulating and doing this, like to the point where I think one of the the and I, I'm remembering this. I haven't played through Act Three in a very very long time, um, but I remember uh, having to go and find a specific item, which I think was a reference to the Book of the Dead, um, but it was like the Black Book from the temples, um, in order to figure out one what was going on two, what the source of the plague was, and three, what the end goal of, at this point, uh, Diablo and Ball actually was. Yeah, and so basically, when you get, like Joe mentioned, you get to caress docks, and there's a lot of stuff you have to do because the place is a shambles. They've effectively, the thing about following the, the Dark Wanderers, the whole time you're doing it, you're basically forced to deal with all the, the chaos that's come up in his wake. Um, there's the Scotsimi blade and so forth. The, the thing that you're trying to do is essentially not just restore order, but you have to figure out what's going on. What do they want? Why are they even doing this? Uh, the black book you're talking about is from an alchemist. Uh, I want to say Alcar. Uh, anyway, I think, I think Alcar is correct. And you, you get the Traven call and you follow it up and you find out that, you know, you, you try to prevent the primevals from reuniting, but again, you're too late. It, just like you've been too late pretty much this whole time because you're following them and you're following them as it's sort of like, I want you to imagine you're chasing someone through a, through a China shop and they can knock all the shelves over and drop the China on your head. Mm-hmm. And you have to try and reestablish order just to get through. Like you can't leave, uh, you couldn't leave Karast in chaos and move forward. Not just because you're, uh, representative of humanity because you literally would never get anywhere. So when you get to Travancall, when you just de- you defeat Sonicar the Quahagan and and you know destroy Mephisto or seeming seem to at least, he'll of course, you know, come back later. Um you find the portal they've opened to the burning hells and you're like, I don't like okay, was all this just to get back? Like were they just trying to get back to to, to the hells? Is that everything? Should I just let them go? And Tyrael shows up and is like, oh no, 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 no. This is very bad. We have to stop them because if they manage to succeed, uh they're they're gonna go for the world stone. And if they get it, this entire world is effectively going to be, you know, it's going to fall into the control of the Lords of Hell. And that means we're all going to die. Uh, they're going to destroy heaven and everything is going to be ruled by evil forever. Um, so you need to go through and kill Diablo and 
destroy his soul stone as well as Mephisto's soul stone that you now have because a putting them in soul stones was a terrible idea. As Joe pointed out earlier, Tyrion's like, yeah, I, this, this did not work out the way I wanted at all. Um, and more importantly, the whole point of this is that they want to get to the world stone and they have to be stopped because if the three of them go to the world stone combined, their power is such that nothing could possibly stop them. And if they get to the world stone, it will be a very, very bad thing. So you go into hell to do what Marius was supposed to do because Marius doesn't do it. Marius does not go to hell. Um, you, your characters take the uh, soul stone from Mephisto and you go after Diablo in hell to find and take his soul stone away from him and destroy it. Uh, you, that's, that's act four is not complicated in that way. No, it's really not. Cause I mean, aside from the fact that you, you start act four in pandemonium fortress, which mm-hmm. um, if you're not familiar with it, pandemonium as Deckard Kane points it out is the last bastion of light in the burning hells. Um, it is a fortress that is set to basically uh, act as the base of operations for the angels in their eternal battle with the demons of hell itself. Um, it is interesting because your player has essentially at this point traveled to a place that really the angels didn't want the Nephilim or humans to really go to, but they don't really have a choice either. Um, yeah, at this point, the angels are sort of like on the back foot here. Uh, Tyrael's now in, in effectively in charge, and they're just kind of having to do what he says. As an archangel, they have to listen to him. He, he's he's you know the archangel of justice. So stuff is going on. Uh, you you're sent in. Effectively, you're going to go and and defeat Diablo, get his soul stone, and use both the uh, the Hellforge in the Pandemonium Fortress to destroy the soul stones, which should prevent. Diablo and Baal from from Diablo and Mephisto from returning to Sanctuary, because like, remember when I told you before that they the whole bit where they got exiled was a gambit. It was always about Sanctuary. It was always about the World Stone and the the, the mortal beings of Sanctuary. Um, we we're gonna have to talk about this at least a little bit. Sanctuary exists because an angel and a demon fell in love and didn't want to fight anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were still an angel and a demon, so their personalities are pretty important. Uh, the angel was, oh, bloody heck, I can't remember his name. I know the demon was Lilith, and I cannot remember the name. Linarius. Linarius, thank you. Uh, Inarius, not Linarius. Linarius Linarius was was the, uh, angel. Lilith was the demon. Lilith was the daughter of Mephisto, the Lord of Hatred. She was still a demon. She just thought that the entire eternal conflict was ridiculous and there was no point to it. When she met Inarius, uh, she basically captured him and was going to kill him, but he started ranting and raving about the whole war being pointless, about how it could never end, about how it was sickening that they were trapped in this continuous, endless battle, which she agreed. She didn't like... The, the whole point of the war was stupid because they never won it. There's no winner to this. It just keeps fighting forever. Yeah, the, the, war, Fort- the war was literally set up to be eternal because the sides were so evenly matched. Yeah, and the Pandemonium Fortress, the angels had it, then the demons took it, then the angels took it back, and just kept going and going. Both sides were fighting over this thing called the Eye of Anu. And so Anarius and Lilith came up with a plan. They found others in Heaven and Hell who agreed with them that the eternal conflict was stupid. 
and they struck. They invaded the the Pandemonium Fortress and they stole the relic that it was guarding initially. That relic was the World Stone, the Eye of Anu. Anu being one of the, one of the original primordial being who split itself into two that tore itself into the pure pure radiant being and Anu the Diamond Warrior and the foul corrupt you know literally everything vicious and vile in Tathomet. existence, Tathamet. And Tathamet was a was an enormous demonic dragon with seven heads. When the the Diamond Warrior Anu and Tathamet struck against each other, they were so equally matched that they destroyed each other. All that remained of Anu was his spine. The giant diamond arch, which is that effectively the, became heaven, yeah, right? It became the root of heaven. It's where all the angels come from. They're literally born out of its uh, out of its its radiance. The song that it gives off, the, the music of the spheres, like it comes from that, and that's where all the angels come from. The demons, the the original seven demons, the prime, and, the greater and lesser evils, are the heads of Tathamet. Mm-hmm. That when the when the dragon was killed, the heads ripped themselves free and became the. The, the various greater evils. So that's the origin of all existence. When they broke into the Pandemonium Fortress, the only relic of the original Anu is the Eye of Anu. This this thing, this world stone, had been used before, but when people would take the fortress, they'd attempt to use it. The problem was it was always like a demon trying to use it or an angel trying to use it. This time, together, a demon and an angel used it. And they used it to create a place where they could hide from the eternal conflict. And that was Sanctuary. Sanctuary is named that because it is a sanctuary for them. And for those that were like-minded, right? Like for the the other demons and angels that were uh, looking to escape the confines of the eternal conflict. And we got to go into like one more thing. Yep. Uh, Lilith had was, was never content to just hide out. That was never her goal. Because Lilith knew the origin of the universe. She knew where the angels and demons came from. They all did. They were aware of where they came from. They knew that they came from the the fight of the Diamond Warrior and and Tathamet. They knew that Tathamet and the Diamond Warrior were two halves of one being that tore itself apart, that wanted to purify itself of all foul things, and in so doing, created them. They knew that before all that, there was Anu. The, the being that was both at once, the being that could make choices and decisions about its existence, the being that chose to divide itself, and the Eye of Anu was a remnant of it. Working together, th- they, they could use it to create Sanctuary, which was the first time the world's had been used to create a permanent world. And also working together, they could reunite the that essences, power. Yeah, the essences of Anu. And they did it in the most you know basic way one can do that kind of thing. They got down. And in getting down, they had children because that happens when you get down. You know, they they made babies, and those babies contained within them both angelic and demonic essence. They they could pick, they could make a choice. They weren't angels and demons. Don't really have a choice about being what they are, because no. what they are is kind of like it's you know it's it's preordained from the their the, the act of their genesis. They don't have free will. I mean, they can do things, they can make decisions, but they always make those decisions based on their essence. But these, the children of the angels and demons born into sanctuary, which were called the Nephilim, were incredibly powerful. And they weren't, they were neither angel nor demon. They could, they could make their own decisions. The first was Linarian, the, the son of Inarius and Lilith. He would eventually be known as Rathma. And 
we're not really going to talk about him too much, but he he's ultimately talked about responsible. It on previous episodes. Yeah. He's ultimately responsible for the Order of Necromancers. Uh, another was Bull Kothos. We don't know where Bull Kothos comes from. We don't know his ancestry, but Bull Kothos was an incredibly powerful nefer, uh, Nephilim. He had a, a brother named Fiakla Giar, and Fiakla Giar and Bull Kothos both created their own kingdoms out in the world. Uh, Bull Kothos's yeah. right? mm-hmm. descendants chose to protect Mount Ariat, which was where the World Stone was. The World Stone was inside the mountain, and it was the secret of the barbarians that they were forever protecting it. Uh, the Druids took a different tack, and in, while the barbarians stuck around the World Stone protecting it, the Druids would go out into the world and attempt to restore the natural balance whenever possible. Um, literally to bring nature to the world. Another of the Nephilim was Isu. And Isu is important because Isu is essentially where sorcery as we understand it comes to sanctuary. It was Isu who discovered those secrets. It was Isu who learned how to use elemental magics. The Zan Isu order of mages that would ultimately be involved in the mage wars comes from Isu. Isu is the the original source of, oh, this is how to be a wizard. This is how to be a sorcerer. This is how to do magic. That comes from Isu. Um, so that's all part of what's happening now. Diablo and Mephisto and Baal want to go to Mount Ariat and use the World Stone. Because once they corrupt the World Stone, they can corrupt the entire world. And in so doing... Use it. Use the mortal souls as an inexhaustible army of corrupted beings to destroy the heavens once and for all. They can finally get the upper hand, which is sort of what Lilith wanted, but not. If when we do a Diablo three and Diablo four story, we'll probably talk more about that. But you go through, you find and fight Diablo. You you kill him. You take his soul stone and you take Mephisto's soul stone to the Hellforge. But since Marius didn't go to hell with you, he didn't bring. Ball's world, Ball's soulstone with him. You don't get there, mm-hmm. like you don't, you don't get to destroy it. The game ends, and you see the final cinematic where Marius confesses to Tyrael that he was too weak to enter, and he didn't. He was afraid, and he the soulstone was affecting him. So he like, I don't, I didn't go here. You take it. You take the soulstone, Tyrael, and you can go. You can go. You can take it to the Pandemonium Fortress and destroy it, and. That's where you find out it wasn't Tyrael Marius has been talking to this whole time. It was Baal. Mm-hmm. Because Baal's still inside Talrasha's body. Um, he's he's using it. He's riding around in it. And this is something we found out kind of retroactively by fighting Sonicur. When you fight Mephisto in the body of Sonicur, he's twisted it to look like himself, but it's still Sonicur's body. That's the thing about these host bodies. They can make them look like themselves, but they're still the original host. So Ball now kills Marius. He now has his soul stone. So he's, you know, he's finally completely united and whole. And he's now going to, you know, whilst the heroes are off doing what they're doing, because remember you went to hell to fight Diablo and you know, destroy his and Mephisto's soul stones. Literally, the epilogue of the game, the Act Four epilogue, is happening while you're doing that. Yeah. 
It's not after everything's wrapped up. It's literally Marius didn't go in. He went to the insane asylum. He's like rambling on to, to Ball the whole time you're fighting Diablo. So he, Ball then goes, he now knows where the World Stone is. And he marches his, his literally an army of demons that he has brought with him. Yeah, you, and the opening cinematic is him on his palaquin being yeah. born to the, the, the mountain. And for all that they are incredible warriors, they're, they're strong, they're fierce. They you know could have stood up against pretty much any mortal army. The army of demons cuts its way through to the world stone. And you spend act five, which is the expansion Diablo two Lord of destruction. You spend it basically trying to catch up with ball much as you once tried to catch up with Diablo. And you, when you get to Pandemonium Fortress, after you defeat Diablo, Tyrael sends you to Ariat directly. Yeah. Doesn't mess around. He's like, no, you got to go to Ariat right now. Yeah. You, he dumps you into Hogroth. Yeah. And you spend the, you know, you basically spend this entire game, all of Diablo 2, you are on the back foot. You are never in a position where you're ahead of what they're planning. You, they, their plan is centuries old. They have been working to this moment for literal eons. And when you finally get on their trail, you just never get a chance to get ahead of them because they were this, they were ready for this. This is what their plan was all along. Even when you fight Diablo and destroy him, it doesn't end the plan because he freed Baal. And so even though he knew he might get fought by mortals again, he deliberately lures you into hell to fight him to give Baal the time he needed to get to Ariat. Mm -hmm. So it's all, you finally get to Ariat, you confront Baal, but it's too late. He has used his essence on the, on the world stone through the soul stone that he's been carrying. The reason he needed the soul stone in the first place, it wasn't just so he could remain on sanctuary. Remember we talked about how using a shard of the world stone was a really bad idea to contain an evil of that magnitude. Yeah. Yeah, this is so pretty much the definition of that. He uses that soul stone to help him corrupt the world stone. And the world stone now, it's the demonic essence is going to creep out into the world that it made. And in so doing, all the mortals of that world will be, you know, bound. They'll be transformed into like beings of hell and they'll be used in the war. It'll be like suddenly that the host of hell will now suddenly have an army the size of the entire population of Sanctuary to just throw at heaven. And then when the when the angels get through that, then they'll be attacked by the hosts of hell, and they won't be able to, to to stand up to it. So, with that happening, and you defeat Ball, but now you're like, okay, this is happening. What do we do? Tyrael does the only thing he can think to do. He destroys the World Stone. Yep. And that keeps the corruption from spreading, you know, into everything in, in the entirety of Sanctuary. It also if you if you know anything about Diablo Immortal, it also starts the events of Diablo Immortal, where literally the like rain the rain of fragments of the World Stone sheds across the entire world, and everywhere they land, they're now corrupted, and evil monsters are rising from them and trying to use them to their own advantage. But not only that, uh, but it also heralds something that was in the events of, of Diablo history. The World Stone was also used to lock away sort of the nascent power of the Nephilim to keep Nephilim from happening. To yeah, turn because, them into humans, right? Because when when uh, Inarius 
confronted Lilith, like, you know, we, we had these children and now they're the angels and demons who serve us are afraid of them. And the, uh, the, the various angels and demons vote to kill their offspring. Lilith won't let them. And she, she actually kills her own followers. She kills the demons and angels that came to sanctuary to protect the Nephilim. And he, she explains, no, this is, they're going to be how we win. This is, this is going to be how the eternal conflict ends. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're going to be our servants. We're going to conquer both heaven and hell and the war will be over. That's what you wanted. You wanted the war to be over. I've given it to you. I gave you a son who will help, you know, these children will be the, the power that reunites the cosmos. I've done it. I've won the war. All we have to do is go on with this. He used the power of the world stone to banish her. Cause he couldn't bring himself to kill her, but he realized she, he'd been tricked. He used the power of the world stone to banish her. And then he suppressed their, their powers. Um, beings that already had them, like that had already been born and had raised up to their full power. He couldn't do much about them because their power was inherently equal to that of the world stone. Because like the world stone, they combined both powers within themselves. Uh, but everybody being born to them, all the, the children and grandchildren and so forth became humans without that massive cosmic power. But the, the, the seed of it was locked in and we find out after the world stone is destroyed by Tyrael that it has effects on sanctuary. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's Diablo three story, which we're, we're not going to go too much into right now, but yeah, that's the, the interesting thing about the premise of this game that the story of this game from the beginning is that this entire plan has been in operation for centuries and you are literally the absolute last hope anybody has to stop it is this, you know, when you start the game, you're playing a character who is like, wow, I want to get through this pass, but it's completely clogged by demons. I guess I better do something about that. By the end of the game, you are literally deciding the fate of worlds. And it's just, it's like, how did I get here? (laughs) Why is this all on my shoulders? All right, because Marius is a little whiner and nobody wants to help me. So I guess we're going to have to do it ourselves. It's really a fascinating, it's almost like an object lesson in how to escalate a story in a game. Because it really does climb up from, you know, hey, there's this, this rogue monastery that's, you know, the Sisterhood of the Sightless Eye. They're having problems. I better deal with it. To the fate of the entire cosmos is at stake. We cannot allow Baal to corrupt the world stone or the eternal conflict will be ended in their army of blood. And you're like, okay, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's... Diablo 2 also represents... We talk about this. We've talked about this before. We've talked about this on the regular podcast. Diablo 2 represents a turning point in action RPGs where, yeah, the story is is very present here. It's, yes, at its core, a hack and slash game where you go through and just upgrade loot and, and basically beat bosses and so turn them into loot pinatas. But there's a story, there's cinematics in between, there's a purpose to the things you are doing. And in essence, the way that I refer to Diablo 1, if Diablo 1 is a dungeon crawl, a traditional like tabletop dungeon crawl, which it is, Diablo 2 is the world around that dungeon that you're diving into. And it is what happens when your campaign goes from lower power level to higher power level, and it very much embodies that. 
the stakes get higher the further you go. You find out more things that make you go, oh, oh no. Uh, and you're progressively getting more powerful as you try to deal with these things until you finally get to the end point. And Diablo is unique in that regard as far as action RPGs and why it is Diablo 2 is often hailed as sort of like the grandfather of the genre at this point because it set all these things in motion to be part of that genre. It is the first time we had a story this kind of cohesive. And you can go back and there are plenty of books that you can you can read. The, the Sin War trilogy is a really great place to understand a lot of the, sort of the events that lead up to it. Um, the book of Deckard Cain has a lot of information in there. Um, there's a ton of resources out there that, that I would recommend, uh, going into because everything that, that happens in those books directly correlates to Diablo two. And then Diablo two sets into motion, the events that happen in Diablo immortal and also Diablo three. And then by extension, moving into Diablo four, everything stays linked together. And it is a rarity that you see action RPGs that spend that much time linking the story together. And yes, gaps have been filled in over time. Um, that's sort of the nature of, uh, of like Matt pointed out, like the limitation of storytelling in technology at that time versus now. Um, and with Diablo resurrected, it is an exciting time to be able to re-experience all of that in glorious uh, redefined graphics, but also redefined audio where the music and the story um, and the voice acting are presented in such a way that, you know, maybe you missed it the first time around. Maybe you missed it when you played it again a few years later, but everything is front and center and presented in a very unique and well-redefined way. Another another thing like to, to, to go upon what Joe just said in a real way, Diablo two is like, it, it, it basically said it answers a question. I don't think anybody really was asking, but it, it managed to do so, so well that, People are like, yeah, this is great. In that the events of Diablo are messed up. Mm -hmm. Like the game is weird and bad. Not bad. It's grimdark. It's grimdark. Yeah. And Diablo 2 is how did we get a world where this could happen? It is literally like, well, here's the world that made that possible. Here's how you could have that happen. And then Diablo three is what happens in 25 years in the aftermath of that. It's like, yeah, you, the, you know, if the, if the Pope was revealed to be like, you know, literally inhabited by a demon, it's like, it's like, what? So yeah, there's, there's a lot. One of the things I like about the Diablo games is that sense of, you know, you always start off as a relatively normal person. Like, a, I don't want to say minor, but your, your character, you start at level one, you are barely capable of killing a few skeletons. And by the end of the game, you're practically a god. That that's mm -hmm. happened, you know, both in Diablo two and Diablo three, and to a lesser degree in Diablo. The original Diablo isn't quite as as extravagant, but that's it has the whole, you know, we're trying to stop this thing from happening aspect. Um, there's just it's it's fascinating for how the lore exists to basically support the the gameplay modes, but also the gameplay modes are rooted in the lore. Yep. And how they work. It, it is really an interesting game to play. And, and you know, I, I feel really kind of a lot of you people who've never played it are going to get a chance to. And it's going to be really fun for you because it's going to be working. And, yeah, I, I think this is really cool. So 
I look forward to all of you experiencing the same thing I did, which is going through all of your mice and burning out. Well, you can't burn out CDs anymore, but going through a whole series of mice because, well, that's what happened. Uh, But Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash Blizzard Watch. Your continued support means this podcast lighting community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience. And if you do have questions for this podcast or any of the other podcasts that we do, be sure to send them into podcast at blizzardwatch.com or into one of our various channels on our discord um and we'll be more than happy to work them in as we have time and as a final thought all of us at blizzard watch continue to stand with the employees of activision blizzard in demanding change for a better tomorrow and to have their demands met for a safe working environment 